Hi, I'm Jennifer Askey, and this is the Mindful Academy podcast. I'm an academic coach, and I work with academic professionals of all stripes to help them create the mental and emotional resilience required for careers in the academy. And because not many people know what academic coaches do, in season one of the Mindful Academy, I'm going to introduce you to some of the tools and exercises that I use with my clients. Welcome back to the Mindful there Academy. Is a workbook um, of exercises. So last and episode that we talked about time thieves these episodes, getting in your way for the entire first. Um, and I have an and update my on time thieves. Jennifer asked I was doing a uh, preparing some slides for an e-course, um, sort of a self-paced thing offered through. HR at my university on effective meetings, effective email, things like that. And I said, oh, I'll, I'll do effective email. A lot of clients want to know about that. I have some thoughts about it when it comes to email being a time thief. And so I, I really dug in. I revisited um, David Allen's Getting Things Done, and I found a few websites where people use the Getting Things Done framework to manage their inbox. And um, I'm, uh, our university is a G, G Suite university or Google for Education university, and I have been a longtime Gmail person. Um, so I went into my Gmail, my private Gmail account, and I said, I'm going to institute best practices for efficient and effective email management. We're going to go to Inbox Zero because this is something that I can do. And this was a, a couple weeks ago. And with not a word of a lie, my friends, I spent five hours one Sunday in my Gmail inbox. I unsubscribed, I deleted, I archived, I foldered, I set up the system that the getting things done guy online recommended, I created symbols, gold stars or blue stars and red exclamation points and whatnot, and I created a view of my inbox that had sort of the four later stuff and the to-do stuff and the ongoing stuff. And um, and I unsubscribed from 18,000 things. And I spent five hours doing that two Sundays ago. And I thought, you know, I put so much time into this. It probably is just going to be a little bit of time every day to stay on top of it. Um, and allow me to tell you that that has not panned out. Um, email is a never-ending tsunami of stuff. And I swear to you, the things that I unsubscribed from, it seems like now I'm getting even more things from those companies. It's mind-boggling. And I know you're supposed to wait a while, but it's been two weeks. I'm still getting an amazing amount of crap. And um, holy buckets. So... This weekend, I looked at it again, and I thought, what am I going to do with this? And in a way, I kind of like the the urgent section on my, my Gmail um, that I've created to, to put messages that I put an exclamation mark on. They go there. Those are sort of action items or time-sensitive things. Um, and I like having sort of a filing cabinet of stuff that I save on save into a folder that is searchable and whatnot. Um, and then I'm using the delete key a little bit more liberally than I have in the past and archiving maybe a few fewer things and really thinking of the archive as stuff that I want to hold on to in one way or another. But I, your mileage may vary, 
but my experiment in in trying to do radical email management has led me to believe that it is maybe not the best use of my time. As long as I know what is what are my action items and where the balls are that I don't want to drop, as long as I have a way to keep track of those, um, I don't think that I am committed to a half an hour a day of not even responding to email, but of managing email. And maybe it would get easier if I did it all the time. Maybe those those lists that I'm on would eventually dry up. Um, but I'm not sure that I'm willing to put the time in to make that happen. So um, I did, in the process of that, delete more than 5,000 messages. Two weeks have gone by and nothing horrible has happened. Now, I haven't yet filed my taxes, so maybe I accidentally deleted something that I should not have, and I will find that out when I assemble all of those documents, but I've saved those along the way, so I doubt it. Um, So maybe what I am advocating is the occasional round of email bankruptcy, where you just light fire to it all and see what happens. Okay, now you're all breaking out in hives. I'm sorry. Um, But, you know, full disclosure and full honesty, I just don't know if it is the best use of my time. Um, I'll keep you updated on how it goes because I, I was surprised. I thought that maybe with that much of an investment into a system that I understood that it would be seamless and and it's not at all. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll maybe keep poking at it, but right now I'm, I'm pessimistic that I have found the holy grail of email management. If I had found it, I would have shared it with you. So time thieves, email, burn it. Um, today we're gonna talk about other barriers to doing your best work. Um, the really sneaky, pers- persistent, natural barriers to doing your best work, um, your inner monologue. And I know I've talked about this before. The PA system in your head, I've introduced you to the judge and the nine accomplice saboteurs in the positive intelligence framework. Um, I'll spend a little bit more time on that today just to let you know that the positive intelligence program is something that I've been engaging with using almost daily for the past 10 or 11 months. And not only do I find the language it uses around your inner saboteurs and your inner sage to be really clarifying in terms of my own self-coaching, but I also have experienced that the small doses of mindfulness that are part of the PQ program to be one of the best ways for me to reconnect with my intentions on a daily basis. Um, And now, since I've mentioned the Positive Intelligence program before, maybe you've gone online to positiveintelligence.com and checked it out. If you have not, I encourage you to do so. Um, The website has two different assessments on it, both in the top horizontal menu. One is called Saboteurs. You give them your email. You take a very short, like less than five minute quiz, and it sends you a report ranking your saboteurs in order of their strength um, or the volume in your head that they emit. Um, The other assessment that's available at positiveintelligence.com says, I think, PQ score or PQ assessment. And it is a snapshot in the moment of where you are on sort of a continuum from, I guess, falling apart to thriving. And I have found that really illuminating when it comes to 
checking in with myself and what do I think thriving means and what might some sort of objective or research-based measure of thriving um, to be. And yeah, I sort of feel like I, I have it all together most of the time. And then I check in with my PQ score and I'm not quite at thriving, right? There's always room for improvement. Um, anyway, that's just a, a one point in time little snapshot. The saboteur assessment then informs your engagement with the program if you were to become a client of the PQ program, um, which in this case would involve becoming a client of me because I fold the PQ program into my coaching. And, um, and I, really like, I really like that. I really like the common language that it gives. And I really like the day in, day out practice that it gives my clients when it comes to um, becoming aware of how their own minds work, professional contexts, in personal contexts. Um, so if you have not yet taken the saboteur assessment at positiveintelligence.com, go do that right now. I'll still be here when you get back. And um, another sort of parallel program or concept to positive intelligence um, comes from the book by Richard Carson called Taming Your Gremlin. And Taming Your Gremlin as a book has been around for 30 years and is full of insights. And what I particularly love about Taming Your Gremlin um, are the illustrations of the gremlins, and they are line drawings. So I envision somebody with some really good felt tip markers, waterproof markers, um, coloring in the gremlin of their choice. There are workbook aspects to reading Taming Your Gremlin, and it is very similar to the positive intelligence program in its delineation of the saboteurs when it comes to recognizing the inner monologue in our heads, that PA system in your mind I mentioned a few episodes ago, and making it really clear that not only is that inner monologue narrated by your saboteur or narrated by your gremlin. Not only is it lies, all lies, but it is also not necessarily you, right? We tend to think of our thoughts as objective truth, our thoughts about ourselves as objective truth because we are the ones thinking those thoughts. And we tend to think that we are the ones thinking those thoughts without taking the time to sort of parse what we mean when we say we're thinking those thoughts, right? Because we can elect the way we talk to ourselves. And if you are allowing your gremlins or your saboteurs to dictate your internal self-talk and not push back against that really negative monologue, Um, with something more intentional, more positive, and more true to who you want to be in the world, um, you're missing a huge opportunity to help shape the reality you experience. Um, So I'm going to talk about this for a little bit. So the self-defeating inner narratives that all humans have are not a sign of your weakness by any stretch of the imagination. They're kind of how the brain... um, learns to manage its emotions when we are young. 
Okay, the, the narratives we have around imposter syndrome, never being good enough, around being a victim, around needing to please people, the narratives we have around emotions being dangerous or around our need for control um, or things fall apart, right? Those narratives were created by our minds in conjunction with our bodies and in conjunction with our environment and with other minds and bodies when we were small. We were figuring out psychologically sort of how to stay safe and control or predict our environments. And at one point in time, these narratives or beliefs served our small selves. We felt like we knew what to expect of the world and the adults in it if we performed to expectations or put other needs before our own or stayed small or whatever. Um, and these become the food for your gremlin or become the the initial seeds of your gremlin, your saboteurs. Because there comes a time when you realize that the gremlins who are running the PA system in your head are the ones that are getting in the way of you achieving your goals. Like that, that constant deficit monologue is not serving you. It's not you being realistic. It's not you having a sober view of the world. It's just you beating the crap out of yourself on a regular basis. And even if you're not beating the crap out of yourself, a client and I were recently discussing the fact that our inner judge is not a particularly angry avatar. Rather, it's just sort of low-key disappointed all the time. Right? And so I really felt and occasionally still feel that that's me, right? I'm not living up to my own potential in my own eyes. And I could buy that thought as fact, as truth. I could write down what my goals were when I was 20 and when I was 30 and when I was 40, and I could, I could show you how I have not lived up to my own expectations of myself and am therefore a constant source of at least low-grade disappointment for my inner critic. Um, but again, not sure what that's going to give me other than cementing me in a version of my life and reality that might not be where I show up as my best and it might not be what allows me to do the work I want to do in the world. So the notion of our desires, our goals, setting our goals to achieve big things, right? So let's say you want a promotion, you want to write a book, you want to get an article in a particular journal, you want to run a marathon, you want to lose 20 pounds, right? Those are external markers that, you, that represent for you a certain element of success or having arrived or whatever. When I get tenure, I'll be successful. When I get this article published, I'll be happy. When I lose 20 pounds, I'll be beautiful. When my book is published, I can take a breath. When I get that grant, I, I will know I can make it, right? But here's the problem with the, the gremlins running the PA system in our head, is that the work of writing the book, writing the grant application, applying for the promotion, losing the weight, etc., it feels like an uphill climb in part because the inner saboteurs are telling us what we are and aren't capable of and what is and isn't reasonable. 
So we're pushing against our default narrative of who we are. Which, as I say that, sounds a little bit like a tautology, but it isn't. Because you know, a part of you knows you can write the book or lose the 20 pounds. But if, if all you're listening to on loop is the gremlins saying, well, you're never going to do it, then you fight yourself in the realization of your own dreams. Okay. And the great thing about growth and personal effectiveness is that you can change the way your mind works here. You can recognize the resistance when it shows up, recognize that your resistance is fueled by saboteurs and not by your truest best self. And then you can go about picking intentionally another perspective on your goal and on the work. So I recently wrote about something like this in my academic, um, in my energized academic Facebook group, which by the way, you are welcome to come join. I would love, love, love to see you there. Um, so I had the house to myself recently and my plan was to get up, get caffeinated and go to work. And you know what I did? None of those things. I scrolled Twitter. I scrolled Instagram. I played stupid games on my phone. And I wasted epic amounts of time. And this, I have realized, is what I do when I begin to feel that sense of resistance to doing my work. Or what the coach Michael Bungier Stanier calls my great work. This resistance is human. Stephen Pressfield wrote a whole book about it. It's called The War of Art. And I'm a coach and I've read these things. So I tried to snap myself out of it. I made another cup of coffee and I looked at my resistance square in the face. And I said, what's going on here? And here's what I come up with. I have feelings about the work that I had set for myself. A little bit of dread, a little bit of overwhelm, a little bit of imposter syndrome, right? So feelings are a great place to start. We know that our feelings are generated by our minds. They're generated by our thoughts. And at that moment, a whole cabal of saboteurs are in my mind thinking their thoughts about me and what I am and am not capable of. They're thinking it won't be good enough, it'll be hard, you might not know how to do it, it's really big and it'll never end, so why bother? Do I even have the time? Should I even start? Oh my goodness, stop. So I tell myself, stop. None of these thoughts is productive. They don't fuel action, right? But they also don't fuel empathy with myself or others. They don't fuel creativity. These thoughts don't get me in touch with my values and my purpose. They just waste my mental energy and beat me up. The saboteurs are loudest when they see you wanting to grow. Not because you're at war with yourself, but because our brains are lazy <laughs> right? and efficient. Our brains just want to go back to doing that thing that we've been doing, even if it doesn't feel good because we know those neurons and we know those chemicals and we're fine there. And growth represents change and brains are like, oh man, super hard, might have to take a nap. 
Um, so the brain is going to dive right back into the comfortable rut, even when the rut doesn't make us feel good. And so thinking about setting your big goal and then the growth being not so much doing the goal, not so much getting up and dedicating the first hour of your day to your manuscript, for example, although that's a great tactic and you should do that. But the big growth is becoming the person who writes the thing, becoming the person who does the thing, becoming the person who makes the call, records the thing, asks for the promotion, asks for the collaboration, right? Who commits to taking care of their body, right? That's where the growth comes in, in becoming the person who does those things. And that is where we encounter resistance. So my strategy this weekend, when I realized what I was doing, was I named what was going on. This is saboteur-fueled resistance. Okay, I see this. Two, I got up and I moved my body, right? In the course of doom scrolling and messing around, I had become one with the couch. It's a comfy spot, but it's not a very intentional and mindful spot for me. So I got up and I moved my body. I just danced around the kitchen for a couple minutes. And then I grabbed my journal and I mentally and in writing connected again with my values and my purpose. Why did I say I wanted to do that work over the weekend? Why do I have this big project as my goal? What does it mean for me to accomplish that? Who do I need to become in order for that to be what I do? Right? Then I went on Facebook and told my group about this because I think this happens to a lot of us. And then I got to work. And so I recognized that my inner judge was keeping me from investing time and energy in the work that requires me to become and to continue to become a bigger version of myself, the person who does that instead of who does this. And I'm not going to tell you it's a switch that I flipped on Saturday morning and now it's all golden, right? I think we return to this all the time, right? I reconnected to my values. I used that North Star in my life to navigate me back to work. And so I had to pick different thoughts to think as opposed to the vague sense of dread and overwhelm and I don't want to and let's look at some pretty pictures on Instagram, right? I had to pick other things. And that is another, that's another challenge, actually, is figuring out what it is that we want to think that is going to help us become the person who does the thing on a situation where they feel stuck or overwhelmed or whatnot, we create four compass points. And we pick, we just start with one and say, this is the perspective you're currently in. And then we move our minds and our bodies 90 degrees and say, okay, what's another perspective that you might be able to, to access, dream up, right? And we do that a couple times. And then for the fourth compass point, we pick something totally random, what is the perspective of the plant on your bookshelf on this problem or on this stuckness? What is the perspective that Donald Duck has on this? We pick something totally random 
and the client comes up with what Donald Duck would say about their predicament, about their stuckness, about their overwhelm. And the interesting thing is, is that, of course, Donald Duck has no opinion on what you're doing. It's your opinion. It's your thought. You just use a little bit of a crutch to get there. And then we go through all four of them again, and we think, and we give it time to sort of sit in your body, see where it resonates, which one of these perspectives is the one that is connected to you, connected to your values. Um, I might do an illustration of this if I can get somebody who wants some live coaching on the podcast, but go borrow a perspective if you're not finding a good one. So in conclusion, the thoughts that run on a loop in the PA system in your mind are not necessarily you, nor are they necessarily true. And by believing them unquestionably, we can make them true, even when our stated goals and purpose is to move past them and beyond them. So the next time you find yourself thinking something that you know doesn't serve your goals, take a deep breath, recognize that you are experiencing resistance, resistance to growth and change, and then see if you can find a more useful and valuable perspective on where you're at that will help you create a different inner landscape on which to do your work. And as always, I'm here to offer support and help. If you'd like to schedule a free coaching consultation to see what it's all about, you can reach out for a free discovery coaching session with me at my website. You can find me on social media. I'm Jay Askey on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn as Jennifer Askey. And as of March of 2021, I am reinvigorating my Facebook group, Energized Academic, and I would love to see you there. I am pledging to go live every Tuesday and growing my community there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mindful Academy. I'd like to invite you to rate and review the podcast on the podcast app of your choice, assuming it allows for ratings. You can provide feedback, ask questions, or suggest topics by getting in touch with me via my website or Twitter. And if you found something of value here today, please share the podcast with a friend or a colleague. I would appreciate it. The intro and exit music is And Miles to Go by November Polaroid from the Free Music Archive. And I look forward to next time.